You're listening to The Story Is, a podcast where we talk about the past, the present, and the personal. And the story is, this week I have another guest. With me is a good friend of mine uh, from college that is still my friend. We're not in college anymore. Uh, And his name is Ryan Francis. How are you doing, Ryan? Doing well, Sam. How are you? I am doing great. I uh, thankfully am in the one part of the state that's not on fire. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a problem with uh, the wildfires. Yep, it's a mess. Um, so what we're uh, going to be talking about today is the very fun world of politics and religion. Um, and it's not controversial at all. Yeah. <laughs> no. And how... Um, and also, really, also in the personal aspect, really how in, in the religion area, um, how in the world would a very conservative group of people vote for somebody traditionally they would be against? So, but to get there, we kind of have to look at really the background of the people itself. And you and I kind of have a background in that area. Definitely. Right. Because we're both, um, though, two, two separate people. We're not the same person. Um, <laughs> uh, we both went to conservative high school, conservative Christian high schools, conservative Christian colleges, and had some, and if I gather right, for the most part, conservative uh, Christian families, right? For the most part, I, my parents were divorced at a young age, so I kind of right. my dad my dad is not religious at all, um, so I kind of had that aspect. But also, but my mom became religious shortly after uh, divorcing my father, so and my right. stepfather was uh, religious too. So I went to church most of my life. Right, right, and so, um, so what would you like to go into with when it comes to like this if? If it's, if it's um, I don't know, the world of college or high school or just in general, of an example of what we're talking about. Well, I kind of want to start with, like, my earliest political memories as far as, like, how I grew up and then kind of go from there. Let's um, go. Going really early, like, the first presidency I remember is the Clinton presidency. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, we were, how old were we? Like, six when he became president? That sound right? Six yes. Six. Yeah, something like that. I remember a little bit of uh, Berlin Wall coming down, but we were quite young when that happened. But that was kind of the biggest geopolitical moment. But uh, I, I, my first political memory was uh, the, the debates between Clinton and Bush and Perot as well. was in a couple of those, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's the first big thing I remember, the debates. Right. And uh, the famous checking the watch moment and all of that. And I remember my mother talking about how she didn't really like Bush, but this Clinton guy was a bad person. So she wasn't really sure what she was going to do. And then growing up in Christian school, the Clintons became like possible antichrist material. It kind of felt like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, they were immoral they had people killed like that was literally something that you would hear like Vince Foster and all that stuff Ron Brown there was a bullet in his head it was crazy right when you when you think back on it like even when uh 
Hillary was running the most recent campaign, that like that stuff kind of started to bubble to the surface again. Right. Like, pe- people were still talking about like, like, like this was real. Yeah. Um, with that, I mean, no evidence to support it at all. Just like conjecture and this doesn't seem right kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, there were a lot of scandals during the Clinton administration too. Um, you had Watergate. So basically, Bill Clinton was everything that was wrong mm-hmm. growing up with politics and he needed to be stopped, which kind of brought us to 2000 and that campaign, which is one probably the campaign that I remember being the most engaged with. Yeah. Um, Gore versus Bush. And obviously a very close election came down to Florida and all of that. But if you were in an evangelical circle at that time, going to church regularly or going to a, to a Christian school, like there was no choice, right? It was Al Gore isn't even a consideration. George Bush, especially since he kind of went after that evangelical vote more than most Republicans had, I would say. Yeah. He uh, made a big point of putting his Christianity front and center. Um. So he was definitely the choice of like the circles that we grew up in. And there was a lot of celebration when he actually won, when the Supreme court made the decision to stop county votes in Florida and declare the recount over. Um, that was a big moment of jubilation for conservatives at that time. And then obviously the next thing that happened was nine 11. Mm-hmm. Now with nine 11, the thing I remember the most, most vividly, in the aftermath of it was how I personally and everyone around me were so glad that George Bush was president in that moment, because I believed that Al Gore would have done nothing in response. Yes. I remember almost literally saying, um, imagine if Al Gore was president right now. Yes. And that like in the bubbles that we were in at that moment, it was like, yes, that is obviously true because he didn't love America. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like Al Gore doesn't love America. So this is, yeah. this is great that we have a president who's going to fight back in this situation. That it's kind of the president's job. If we are attacked, no matter his political party, he's got to react somehow. Right. And I think a lot of that is for me anyway, and probably for you, I would guess is we grew up with saying, knowing that the Clintons did not care about America or that's what we were convinced of that. They didn't, they don't like America. They didn't love America. We're the ones who love America. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much. And I think that's what we'll get to later. It's not so much that evangelicals have differences of opinion with Democrats. It's that they don't believe them to be good people. And it's the same thing on the other side, too. Oh, yeah. Left-wing people will will talk about how those on the right wing just don't care about America either. Right. There's a (laughs) – yeah, there's so many – to the point where I've read this on a number of occasions on the the wonderful uh, platform that is Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They say – I don't understand, and it's it's a picture of a white guy with his arms crossed saying, I read this this morning, I don't understand how a black person could be a Republican. When the Republican Party is full of so much hate and racism, I just don't get it. Right. Um, in, in the response of one of the, you know, one of the uh, folks who was elected, 
was an African-American and they were a Republican. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they can't think of anything other than Republicans being nothing but a just hate-filled, horrible people that obviously don't love the country. Now, I think that has intensified because of the brand of politics that Trump has brought to the Republican Party. True enough. It is harder to imagine being a marginalized group and supporting the Republican Party. So I get that, but at the same time, if you grow up, I'm guessing this elected official was in the South somewhere, Mm -hmm. and you grow up in a religious situation in the South, I mean, being a Republican is like the option, right? (laughs) It's like you don't even think about being a Democrat. So, Right, but also being a Black person growing up in the South, I think you probably know about racism. <laughs> that too. Right? So I don't think you need to worry about the Republican Party. Right. So say that to say that going back to what we were talking about with Al Gore and, and George W. Bush, couldn't imagine a situation where um, Al Gore would have reacted the way George W. Bush did in defending the country. So shortly after that happened, I mean, we, 9-11 happened when we were juniors in high school. So a couple of years later, obviously, we're in college in beautiful Whitewater, Wisconsin. Oh, yes. I, uh, beautiful Wisconsin. That's a different podcast altogether. Right. I'm not even... <laughs> so while we're in college, I think the biggest thing that happened politically was the Iraq War, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, one thing that sticks with me the president of the college should we use his name i don't even know i i don't even know if it would be relevant okay we won't use his name we'll just say the president of the college and we had a we had a chapel together and i remember him saying this isn't a direct quote but it's exactly what he was saying this is an important moment where we must support exactly what the president is doing as far as the war in Iraq, which kind of just struck me. I was like thinking, how is that your position to tell all these people on what their political beliefs should be about a war? Yeah. Wow. Especially when we have students in there who are like in the ROTC program. That and like, I mean, I don't. I know I was an idiot when I was a teenager in the early twenties, and very impressionable. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. To, to kind of, yeah, absolutely. To kind of, from a position of pretty great authority, to proclaim this is a just war, and we need to support the president in this moment. I thought was pretty inappropriate, even at that age. And I kind of talked to other people about it at, at college, and I was. No one agreed with me on that. They're like, no, this is absolutely right. This is what we need to do. I mean, this is a time of war. We need to support the president. And I think from that moment on, like, I started to think, change in my thinking. And I kind of felt like I was drifting away from everyone else who surrounded me. Um, And even other things about the Bush administration, like, it was... They cut taxes, obviously, which, which is fine. That's what conservatives do. But at the same time, they raise spending, not just in military areas and, and 
military spending, but also just domestic too. Right. Started to create a deficit that we keeps growing. It seems like every year. Um, and I found that very not conservative or Republican. But again, like anytime I bring up these points, I feel like I was all alone around on these evangelical circles. Like you just need to support the president. Right. Um, yeah, there was, like you said, there was no other option. Right. So that brings us to 2004. We're both still in college. Um, John Kerry. Though in, though in fairness, we started in 02, so it's not like we were behind or anything. No, that's right. We, were, we are still on track. You we're finished on, track. on doing... You finished on time. I, I never graduated from this college, but you did. Yeah, but we're both u- using our education for neither of the fields that we studied so it, it all works out also very true um <laughs> so 2004 came around and i again it was like not even a choice right it was like this is george w bush of course we're gonna vote for him i and that was my first presidential vote i did end up voting for him um because i think john Kerry was significantly i mean not significantly but he was it was a pretty ugly campaign, I thought. He, he, they took him down to uh, – his his positives were taken down by – but, I mean, it was just ugly. It was back and forth. He had swift boating. Yeah, I mean – Yeah, I, I, yeah, I still remember those commercials. And, uh, I mean, I'm not a huge John Kerry fan. Don't get me wrong, but – Yeah, um, I'm more of a John Edwards guy. Now, that's somebody you can trust. You know, it's, it's funny. In the primary in Wisconsin, I voted for John Edwards. Because he was really good at on the uh, campaign, he seemed like a genuine guy. He did, and I my thinking was I fully intended at that moment to vote for Bush, but um, I remember thinking that time was like I want in case he loses because I figured it'd be a close election. It was relatively ended up being relatively close. I'd like the person who could possibly win to be the second best choice from that party. That was my, that's what I was thinking. Obviously, John Edwards, not a good person. In case you, in case you uh, haven't read that book to the end, kind of a dirtbag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a cool only, guy. Only if you count, what, cheating on your wife who has cancer. Yeah. And yeah. Fathering, a, fathering a child with somebody else. If you, if you think that's bad. I don't know. Maybe, right. maybe my Christian background, I'm being too judgmental. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he does seem like a good guy. And also, there was also that YouTube video where he was styling his hair, which is funny. But um, <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> so, and I remember I, 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 we're having like a dorm discussion. We we were in the same dorm in this college, just how we met. And uh, I remember talking to uh, one of the leadership in the dorm. He, he was going to vote for. Howard Dean, because he's like, he's so crazy. It'd be kind of funny if he won the Wisconsin primary. And I told him why I was voting for John Edwards. And he kind of just like went straight over his head. He's like, I mean, who cares? I mean, if the Democrat wins, we're doomed anyway, basically was his thinking in that situation. Kind of another example of there's no other choice. Right. Um, so then Bush wins. Um I leave that college shortly after that. I, f- I forget what year I left, but it was, was, was there, I think it was the first semester of the senior year I left that college. Yeah. Um, then we kind of went on, on our way. Um, 
I became less, less religious. Um, I didn't go to church as much anymore. And that kind of takes us, I mean, just to finish out my voting history, I voted for John Kerry. I mean, I voted for uh, John McCain in 08. I didn't think Obama had a record that I could really vote for in terms of I like I did I had no understanding of what he would end up doing because he really had no background or record. And he won that election because of the financial crisis, obviously. Yeah. Um, 2012, I actually ended up voting for Barack Obama for a second term. Really over uh, wasn't that over Romney? It was over Romney. Yeah. Uh, my thinking at the time, and I guess I can talk about that a little bit. Um, Is it because he was a Mormon? <laughs> no. Because that was the other thing. That, that If we're going to talk about Christian circles. We should talk about that, yeah. big reason why people didn't want Romney to get nominated was he's a Mormon. He probably yes. has multiple wives and has, fan- and has oh, holy underwear. Right. I mean, to be fair... To people who said those things, Mormonism is kind of weird in terms of a religion. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but it, it was. I specifically remember him being in like a diner in Iowa or something, and he was just going around shaking hands as you do. And one guy, just like some old crusty guy, was like, "I don't, I don't deal with Mormons." <laughs> he just like <laughs> shaking his hand. I was like, "Wow, that's pretty intense." Yeah. But um, why I didn't vote for Mitt Romney? I, I I still consider myself pretty conservative at that moment. But in my opinion, the first term Barack Obama was pretty moderate. Actually, I mean, we could have debates about Obamacare, the the uh, Affordable Health Care Act. But honestly, a lot of those ideas came from like the Heritage Foundation. Um, but I found him to be pretty moderate and uh, pragmatic in his first term, and. I mean, Mitt Romney's opinions have been all over the map. I mean, he ran as a completely different person when he was trying to be governor of Massachusetts compared to being yep. president of the United States. Exactly. Yeah. And that was my concern with him. I was like, I know what Barack Obama is. He's definitely left of center. Um, he definitely doesn't believe everything I believe, but I think he's pretty pragmatic. Mitt Romney will adjust his beliefs to- basically towards what he's running for. Um, so that's why I voted for Barack Obama. Um, and people around me, like I, I obviously I grew up at a Christian high school and the people I still friends with many of those people. And maybe that's one thing I want to talk about is like, there are plenty of people I grew up with in high school who went to, you know, church and the Christian high school and everything who aren't really religious anymore. But one thing that really sticks with them is that they're Republican. It really? seems like we're, yes, it, it's, it's kind of weird. Like they, they don't really are Christian anymore at all. Like go out drinking, go to bars, you know, whatever. This, it's not really a part of their lives anymore, but what sticks with them is that they are Republican. Wow. Yeah. That I, like, find, <laughs> that I find shocking. Yeah, it's like it like it doesn't matter what your reaction to the upbringing has been in terms of your personal like morality. Mm-hmm. You still you're still Republican. 
And really, I don't know. I don't know anybody who I grew up with who has voted for a Democrat for president, regardless of whether they're still in the church or not. Wow. That, yeah, that's actually, that probably is a pretty safe assumption on my end too. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to even venture a guess if there is anybody who I maybe might've voted, maybe, maybe might've voted for a Democrat. Um, I could probably venture a guess, but I wouldn't be sure. But I, I do find that fascinating that the thing that they would hold on to is the Republican Party. Yeah. When, for me, that's like the first thing to go. I would drop the Republic if given, given the two things in my life that I find most important, my personal belief in God or the Republican Party. Yeah. You know. 10 times out of 10, I'm going to choose my own personal faith. It, it's a much more um, impactful and important thing in my life, my relationship with God, than, oh, you know what? We got to cut those taxes. Right. <laughs> exactly. We got to um, watch out for them socialists. The one thing I will say, I, you know, I, I think I kind of misspoke. There are people I know who I grew up with who vote, who vote Democrat now. Um, but those people are wholly against religion now. I'm thinking of more of the people who are like, just it's not part of their lives anymore. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure because I felt like that was right. kind of awkwardly phrased. But so, if someone who's just like, I'm against everything that I grew up with, they're voting Democrat now. And that would make sense, right? But the people yeah. who it's just not a part of their lives anymore, you know, having being evangelical Christian, they're still voting Republican. That that's kind of what I want to phrase. Right. Yeah. Uh, not. Yeah. Yeah. There. I mean, there's a variety of everything in life, but for the for those who aren't who aren't necessarily in church anymore, they're still Republicans. Right. Exactly. That's that's the point I wanted to get across. Right. So in uh, 2012. voted for President Obama. And that kind of brings us to 2016. One thing before we get to that, I want to talk about that it's kind of the elephant in the room is abortion, right? Um, oh, yeah. That's, I think, the biggest part of all of this on why people are still supporting President Trump. If I talk to somebody who isn't even that religious anymore. The abortion issue sticks with them in terms of why they're voting Republican, because it is ingrained into you growing up. And I understand this belief and it makes total sense that aborting a baby is murdering a baby, right? Right. Absolutely. Now I'll talk about my personal belief at this moment. I do not favor abortion i think it is a very for lack of a better word unsavory term form of birth control um but one thing that kind of like i'm voting democrat now we can get to that later but i've been voting democrat i know i know (laughs) i'm voting democrat now but how i kind of justify this in my mind is i don't think outlawing abortion is the best way to reduce abortion. Um, right. How about, yeah. 
I mean, that's true with a lot of things, right? We went, we went through prohibition as a country in terms of alcohol. That didn't work out so well. But, I mean, we have the internet now. If you want to be shocked, Google at-home abortion. Apparently, it's not that difficult. Like, people can do this on their own, especially in the early term. Um, so if you outlaw it, and this kid, usually it's a kid, like a young teenager, wants to have an abortion, they're going to get an abortion. I think what we should be focusing on is ways to prevent the unwanted pregnancy to begin with, right? Exactly. That's what our government should be doing is preventing the circumstances and instances where that would need to occur. Right. I personally believe the Republican Party is uniquely poor at that. Abstinence-only education. Um, Remember the big hullabaloo about um, birth control being free in the Obamacare, the uh, the Affordable Health Care Act. Oh yeah, yeah that that that's uh, that's that's somehow uh, promoting uh, promiscuity. Right. Yeah. Um. Instead of promoting a whole lot of unwanted births. Exactly. So I mean that's where we can focus on, and I, I think there should be some there could be kind of some kind of compromise in terms of pushing earlier like the cutoff when you can get an abortion improving funding for those things and we end up reducing abortion significantly and uh and that really should be the goal but so that's how i kind of justify voting democrat as far as that issue goes so i want to kind of get that out of the way but just to emphasize anytime i bring up for example to a republican voter about you know just the immorality, for lack of a better word, of Donald Trump. That's the first thing yeah. that comes up. That's the first, that's the number one issue with a bullet is, well, he's electing judges who are going to stop abortions. Which, <laughs> which, I should say. Uh, which, which kills, that's what kills me because that's uh, not true. Because that's under the, I mean, that's under the, this big assumption, you know what, we're going to reverse Roe v. Wade. Right. Which also, you're not thinking legally, because if we go back and watch the, this is what I liked, is the Neil Gorsuch uh, confirmation hearing. Sure. He said, if the president asked me to reverse Roe v. Wade, I would have walked out of the room. Because that's not, because... I can't go by my preference. I have to go by what is settled law. That's right. what the law is. It's all based on precedent. It's not based on preference. So whether I disagree with Roe v. Wade doesn't matter. It's the law. Until somebody comes up with a good enough, I don't know, case study argument to bring before the Supreme Court to reverse Roe v. Wade, there's no reversing it. There's no magical meeting that, that the Supreme Court gets together and says, all right, guys, today we're going to get rid of abortion. Right. That's the lie that they, that they use to support somebody who's violated a fair share of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to be fair to them, if you get enough justices on the court who are willing to do it, you can get it done no matter what the precedent is. But to your point, Gorsuch did not seem, at least in his confirmation hearings, like that's something he was 
hundred percent on board with. And Kavanaugh, though less specific, I would say, seemed to suggest it was precedent on precedent, which, you know, again, that can change. But, I mean, we'll see what happens, right? We'll see if this court ends up reversing it. I have a feeling that Roberts is kind of a a legacy guy who doesn't want to be the one who does this. So he might be the one who steps in the breach and stops it from happening. I don't know. But I guess we'll see. I'm sure a case will come up eventually where this becomes an issue. Um, but yeah, abortion's a big part of this. Uh, so before we get to 2016, is there anything that you want to talk about in terms of what you remember growing up as far as religion and politics come together? Uh, the big thing was um, a lot of the highlights you talked about. I was like, yep, that's what I remember. It's the same milestones. Uh, the big thing for me, even though when I part of me kind of questioning the republicanism happened about the same time in college and i'm not going to completely blame you for this (laughs) my left-leaning friend Um, uh, but also part of it was like knowing people who eventually were sent to serve in afghanistan yeah that's true and we're getting entangled in wars for some reason over in Afghanistan, even though the hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And it's all about weapons of mass destruction. So yeah, as the, as this, you know, what was supposed to be like this great Gulf war, you know, get our enemies over the weekend started to drag on. I started to wonder, do we want more of this? Right. As in terms of, you know, in Republicanism and, so it was really W that kind of made me go, I don't know how conservative this is. You know, it, yeah, it just definitely. felt like we were doing more of the same. Um, that was, yeah, that was the big thing was, was really W was where even as a, somebody who was a Republican his entire life started going, yeah, this isn't the greatest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I- and uh, there's been some revisionist history. I think the best thing for the George W. Bush brand ever has been President Donald Trump, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> he's looking he's looking very good. Um, if you're if you're not a, a MAGA head, he uh, George W. Bush looks. I mean, even you'll see liberals just like pining for the days of George W. Bush. Oh yeah, now um, now we get Twitter moments of him and Michelle Obama passing each other candy. Yeah, it's you know, it's beautiful, out. right? He's painting. They hug. It's like a, a simpler time. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when he was supposed to be the worst president ever? Yeah. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> All right. Anything else that you want to bring up, or should we move on to Don, uh, Donald John Trump? I think we should move to the present with the big red hats. All right. Um, this that election had such a big effect on me. Um, so I'm not probably a lot to say about this, but I wanted to go. I, I brought up a couple tabs on my computer here to kind of go through the primary Um, because I think it's pretty instructive as far as in in terms of where the evangelicals were as far as Donald Trump. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll try not to make this too much about numbers and everything, but the early primaries, right? You had Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald Trump actually lost Iowa, right? He lost to Ted Cruz. He only got 24% of the vote in Iowa. Yeah, and Ted Cruz had declared, now, what is it, the, the time for the circus and the clowns to go. But this was <laughs> it. Don't worry, America. Ted Cruz is to save you. Yeah, that's, that's wow. Looking back at 2016, there's so many things that just make me go wow. Um, and back to Ted Cruz for one second, though. <laughs> Remember when Ted Cruz chose his running mate? That's right. Carly Fiorina. Yeah. She's going to be my running like before the primaries were over. Oh, yeah. This was this was a big desperation move where I think it was like after – was it? I think it was after Kansas. Yeah, that, I'm not sure. But whatever happened, just oh, bizarre. Yeah, so weird. <laughs> oh, what a weird year. All right. So then we move on to New Hampshire. Trump won that with 35% of the vote. Still very split, but much higher. Um, then I think you have the turning point, which is South Carolina. Mm-hmm. He, he ended up winning South Carolina, which was a winner-take-all state in terms of delegates, the first one of those. So we got all 50 delegates in South Carolina with only 32.5% of the vote. Right, and South Carolina, a famously uh, religiously conservative state. Yes, absolutely. A big part. I mean, you got Bob Jones University down there. Um, I mean, so many people like to proclaim themselves this, but like the buckle of the Bible belt, if you will, South Carolina. Um, and then you had Cruz, Rubio, and Kasich. I mean, combined had over 50% of the vote. Mm-hmm. And then you had, please clap, Jeb Bush with percent. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that was the end. That's a whole podcast in itself. Is the Jeb Bush candidacy? Yeah. Oh, the America that wasn't Jeb Bush. <laughs> um, he was done after that. Yeah. So then you had Nevada, which was the last of the early states. Um, he took, and this is when he has momentum, right? He has forty-five percent of the vote there, and obviously not a very religious state either. They just think a, a dead pimp was elected to uh, office and. Nevada this time around. So yeah, I did. A, the, yeah, uh, I did a whole uh, podcast about that. So check that one out a few episodes back, folks. <laughs> so yeah, very not very just... inspirational. <laughs> All right, so that's the early primaries. Trump is the clear front runner after that, and in most cases, that person ends up winning. Right, the person who wins those early primaries, yep, they're going to end up winning the the winning the nomination for the Republicans. Um, Super Tuesday is very interesting to me. Um, Trump won seven of the 11 states. Um, but again, the margins are interesting here. Right. The one outlier, I, th- I think, is, in the, is Alabama. He won 43% of the vote. Very religious Alabama. Mm-hmm. I think you can point that back to Jeff Sessions, though. Uh, yeah. The first senator to um, endorse um trump i wonder if he would have that decision over again <laughs> considering what has happened to him since i was gonna say um, that relationship has lasted and lasted <laughs> um but that's the one outlier but the rest of these um he won arkansas with only 32 percent, less than 40 percent in georgia 
less than 40% in Tennessee, mm-hmm. Texas only 27, Oklahoma only 28. Um, and the states he actually ended up losing, Alaska, which whatever, but Minnesota, not very religious, Oklahoma, right. religious, he lost that, and Texas, with tight screws lived there. Right. Um, so he's not, these aren't huge margins, but he's racking up delegates and he's perceived to be the front runner at this point just because the, the field was so divided. Right. The Cruz and Rubio and Cases had a prisoner's dilemma and they just decided to, you know, just stick it out and let Trump win basically instead of dropping out. Um, so that kind of propelled him. Then you move on to March 5th through 12th. Um, not a lot of important primaries there, but again, the only primary he gets over a, a decisive margin is Mississippi, which again, a very religious state, mm-hmm. but kind of, kind of an indication that he's getting momentum right. with the evangelical crowd. Mm-hmm. But the knockout blow, if you want to go forward a little bit, is in the Acela primary, which is Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island. Mm. He gets well over the, the smallest margin he had was in Maryland, where he got 54%. Mm-hmm. Everything else, a couple states over 60. So it really, the South and evangelicals really did not warm to Trump until he had actually won the primary. And I think that's important to point out because there was a little bit of pushback against him initially from those who, for example, a couple decades earlier really derided Bill Clinton and his immorality, right? Right. Because, you know, but once he got, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, because there was a time where, when character mattered, but apparently it doesn't matter. So, well, that gets thrown out the window, right? Because now it's either him or it's Hillary Clinton. You're not, and, the, and that's when the golden phrase of, you're not going to vote for Hillary, are you? Right. Which I did. I voted for Hillary Clinton, which blew a lot of people's minds. And like, I I never gotten into an election where it was like emotional for me. Mm-hmm. Like any other situation, if my first vote was for George W. Bush, if John Kerry would have won, I would have been okay. I was like, I don't agree with it, but that's fine. Yeah. In uh, two thousand eight, I voted for. John, John McCain. I was okay when Barack Obama won. Again, I was like, I understand the situation. He's an acceptable candidate for president. I just don't agree with him. Same thing if Mitt Romney would have won. Um, but this one, he was just so obviously just like an out for himself grifter that I just couldn't believe people were voting for Donald Trump. Yes. And People I love were voting for Donald Trump. Like yeah. my parents voted for my, my parents voted for Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and it just it was 
it was a thing where it's like, I don't understand this kind of type of America. And it was just, it, it kind of looking back, it reminds me a little bit of 2004. And maybe if I was more in the evangelical circles at the moment of 2016, I'd understand it more mm-hmm. because like it was John Kerry, but an overdrive because they had decades of stuff and just like a firm foundation for the Clintons have had people killed and things like that. Just like mm-hmm. Benghazi. Benghazi. Yes. Benghazi. And then it was Hillary Clinton. And then her emails. Her emails. Yes. Famously, but her emails. Um, <laughs> uh. But I just didn't get it. Yeah. And like, I would get in like, voice raising fights with my parents about Donald Trump. Oh my. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. And it And I just feel like he has a view of America and American norms that is so destructive. Like Things that make me proud to be an American are like our reliance on the importance of individual rights, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good old no one's above the law. Um, and I mean, you can go down the amendments, I guess. Yeah. But like all the great things that we're allowed to do that other countries, you know, right? Like still to this day, gonna... can't do. Right. Like, for example, I mean, one thing he talked about a lot, and it seems like a small thing, but like strengthening libel laws was a big thing for Donald Trump. I mean, nothing's really come of it, but like, just like to have that be your frame of mind that the First Amendment is a little too broad kind of blows my mind. Right. Um, I mean, if you look at the Bill of Rights, a lot of it is about how we treat criminals, right? Innocent until proven guilty. Right. Um, you know the you have a lot of rights in this country when you are when you are accused of a crime. Yeah, and yeah, there's due process. Exactly, and like little things like how Trump he was in front of uh, like a group of police officers and he suggested maybe roughing them up before you put them in the police car, or let them hit their head or something like that. Again, very small thing, and just by itself, but it's like the general attitude that he has towards laws his relationship with the uh justice department he thinks his attorney general should be his Roy Cohn basically right mm-hmm. should be there to protect him where it's part of the executive branch but traditionally it's an independent part of the executive branch it's not supposed to be that intertwined with the wishes of the president um so he kind of this has been said many times i'm not the first person to say this but he says the quiet part out loud right he just doesn't care about the optics of it he just he's out for himself and the country is secondary oh clear. so it'll yeah so it it always and it is so evident to me and it just bothered me to such a degree um that i couldn't believe that evangelicals in particular were supporting him um but i really think it comes down to uh the, the abortion issue and also just an ingrained belief that I grew up with that I had to overcome, basically, that Democrats don't love America. 
Yeah. That that wasn't even that that wasn't even a an option. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, never mind. I mean, if you look at just to I mean examine the man, and there are many indications and conversations that that pointed me to the conclusion of this guy never intended on winning. That's another thing. I believe it was just a huge self-promotional campaign, but he never planned on actually winning. I mean, there was a report that he had a deal with Chris Christie, right? Mm-hmm. That he'd be in for a little while, and then he would drop out and just throw his support behind Christie after you know he flamed out, as he inevitably would. Um, and I... I that could be the reason why Christie was the, one of the first person to support him right? Uh, when he dropped out. Um, and it's a believable story to me. And it, everything he did kind of gave an indication that he wasn't serious about that. I mean, at one point he said, how stupid are the people of Iowa? Remember that? I love the poorly educated. That too. That happened in Nevada, I believe. He was yeah. going through the exit poll. Like, the poorly educated. They're voting for me like crazy. I love that. Um, so yeah, I think he, it was like, um, I agree with the, the theory that this was basically like a promotional tour for the next season of the apprentice and it just got out of hand. Oh, clearly. Like it turns out there was a lot of support for these ideas, um, in the Republican base, mm-hmm. and they, not a ton of support. I think it, w- it wasn't a, it wasn't a majority, but it was a plurality basically with these other candidates. Mm-hmm. He wasn't getting huge margins, but the field was so divided, it kind of gave him a clear path. And uh, and Republican primaries have these winner-take-all states that really kind of made the math impossible for Cruz or Rubio or Kasich. Um, but when it, it's it's so surreal when you think about it. Like it was a complete joke when he started. Oh yeah. And and the closer and closer you got, the more real it got. It was like, well, he'll never win the nomination. Okay, well, I mean, he's not going to win the presidency, right? Yeah. I mean, that's not going to happen. Calm down. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I think even Trump supporters were shocked when he won. I, the Trump himself, I'm sure, was shocked when he won the presidency. There's recent reports of that as well. Oh, yeah. Especially what Mike Pence's uh, wife, very shocked from what I hear. Yeah. Um, and kind of how slow the transition got started, like they weren't prepared to tr- for the transition yeah, at all. Exactly. That explains the transition. What transition? We weren't planning on transitioning anything. Right. So that's why that was thrown together very haphazardly. And I mean, he still has positions that are unfilled in the government, but it took longer than usual to even have people nominated for positions. Right. Um, but let me ask you, like, how did I know you're you don't consider yourself Republican anymore? Correct. I, I guess I I I waffle between independent and democrat. I've I've this past midterm I've, I've every person I voted for had a D next to their name. Um but like how how did twenty sixteen affect you in terms of like how you're voting and how you're thinking about politics? Well um I was a never Trumper from the beginning and I was just kind of shocked that you I mean when you looked up on that debate stage you had so many choices and people yeah yeah I couldn't believe it. when you have Rand Paul on the far end going hey guys we're spending ourselves into a deficit and he's the only one talking about it and no one's up for him um and the scariest one of the scariest moments and I and I decry people who 
who get scared too easily or allow themselves to get into this type of political fervor of I feel unsafe and things, you know, the sky is falling. I genuinely did feel uh, some type of fear or worry at the Republican uh, convention when he was given his, uh, his speech. I was like, this is insane. I can't believe, you know, I can't believe we're doing this. Can I, if I can interject for a second, I like, I don't post on Facebook much anymore because it's not my preferred social network. And I think it's kind of a cesspool, but um, I posted like, I don't know how anyone could vote for him after watching that speech. And I had someone we went to college with post, like, how could you vote for Hillary Clinton? And just like, unfriend me. It was, it was like, it's midnight in America, right? That's what people kind of said about it. It's yeah. like, it was like, there are gangs roving the streets. It was insane. Yeah. I and mean, he was yelling the whole time, like literally the whole time he yelled at me as I, I watched the speech. It was, yeah, the most authoritarian thing I think I've ever seen in American politics. Yeah, I think you and I were you and I texting at that moment. I feel like we might have been. I feel like we were going. This is insane. I think so. It was so surreal the whole thing. It was, but yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because, like, wow, that yeah. was a crazy moment. That was insane. all right. So because so you're was, watching that speech, right? So that because going into the convention, we were still holding out for some type of miracle whether if it was paul ryan or something vote your conscience ted cruz oh i forgot <laughs> i can't believe i forgot about that vote your conscience <laughs> i can't believe he didn't say my dad did not help kill john f kennedy uh, yeah <laughs> or, my wife is beautiful um and then goes on to eventually endorse him um yeah that yeah. that convention was was nuts that we were hoping we we're holding out for something but once he took the stage and the all the votes had been counted i was like this is awful yeah uh, this is this is not my party and that was that was actually when when once he was nominated that's when i registered to be a libertarian right i was like i'm done you guys the republican party you're nominating this guy you don't stand for what I thought you guys stood for. So that's what, that's when I jumped out of the ship and jumped into the crazy boat known as the Libertarian Party because I'm not about to defend them at all. Because they're nuts. Yeah. They're nuts. But at least they know what they believe in. True. I want to talk about that a little bit. And before I do that, one other thing I want to bring up is something that's been a Republican trademark for years now, probably my whole life, free trade, right? And really, when I think about it, that maybe that's the last thing that had me voting for Republicans at any moment. Um, the belief in not protecting industries in the United States arbitrarily, picking winners and losers. Remember, that's what they used to call it during the, the Obama administration? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Picking winners and losers. Now that's like tariffs for days on whoever the president disagrees with. Oh, my word. Yeah. And then retaliatory tariffs. I mean, any economist will tell you this is a terrible idea, but now it's like a foundational belief of this Republican Party. Yeah. Never mind. Crack open any history book will tell you tariffs are a bad idea. Right. I mean, and that's an example of him just completely changing what the Republican Party believes. Mm-hmm. 
And th- that's another thing. He, he ran as a populist, right? Right. I will, I will do nothing to cut Medicare or Medicaid. I'll do nothing to cut Social Security. I'm going to bring jobs back? When yeah. When have brought a job back? Get ready to assemble some iPhones. and. Oh, I mean, yeah. in Wisconsin's a great example of this. I mean, giving $4 billion to Foxconn, and that's turning into a total disaster. But, um, and, the, and that was basically fueled by Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. He wanted to win. So he got Scott Walker to give a bunch of money to a Taiwanese company to bring jobs back. Wow. I mean, literally, best estimates, it's like over $200,000 a job is what they're spending for this factory. Whew. A lot of people are, there's some outrage about that Amazon deal. And they're talking like, I think it's twenty or $50,000 a job to bring those jobs to that area of the country. Well, finally, New York City is going to get a leg up in the economy. Right. <laughs> finally, D.C. is going to have some millionaires. <laughs> right. But I mean, I mean, compare the two deals, and there's been some local reporting about this. I mean, it's making Wisconsin look completely stupid, but yeah. I did. Oh, I, uh, I did want to congratulate you on being the one Democrat that voted for Hillary in Wisconsin. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, and I think you were the only one that heard of her because I heard she didn't go. She wasn't to be seen. No. Um, she never showed up, and like literally, she wasn't even on the air with ads until the last week before the election. Something that's pretty underreported. Wow. I. All I saw was Donald Trump ads for a month and a half. Um, and then finally she came out with some ads. But let's critique the Clinton campaign for a moment. Yeah. Literally, the ads that I saw were like, what will we tell the children? <laughs> it was like a kid sitting in front of a TV when she finally put ads in Wisconsin. A kid sitting in front of a TV watching Donald Trump, you know, mock a disabled reporter, say really inappropriate things. Mm-hmm. And then, and the ad was, what will we tell the children? Why is that your closing argument? Shouldn't it be, this guy is a fake billionaire who's a corrupt businessman who has no idea what he's doing? Right. Why, yeah, how, why didn't she come up with the, basically the Mitt Romney speech? Of, he says he's a good businessman and he says he says he knows a lot of stuff, but no, he's not. There's no evidence. No, he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it why is it used? It wasn't vote for me. It was, you're not going to vote for him, are you? Right. It was crazy. And I mean, why is it taking a couple of years later for the New York Times to come out with this story about basically how he inherited all, all his wealth through probably illegal means, through tax dodging? And he's like not even more wealthy than he was when he inherited the money. He's probably less wealthy. I mean, why, why wasn't that the focus? To hack him at his credibility. Why are we talking about what we would tell the children? It was such a stupid idea. Right. And there was a poorly, camp- poorly done campaign that assumed, I mean, assumed, well, like everybody, there's no way she's going to lose to Donald Trump. Right. How could she? It's her turn. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. about as, it was about as inspirational as Bob Dole's campaign when he ran against Clinton. It was, it's his turn. 
I've been around. Yes. I've been around a long time. My name is famous. Isn't it time for me to be president? Isn't that what it felt I'm like? Always I'm always holding a pen with my weird hand. Vote for me. I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but Bob Dole was a war veteran. <laughs> I think they, true. I think they only said that every five seconds during this campaign. Wasn't Bob Dole like the only former president to show up to the Republican convention? Um, Bush didn't show up. I, former president. Um, I feel or like former presidential nominee Romney didn't show up either. Oh, oh nominees. Oh, okay, I was gonna say. Um, I was gonna. Bob Dole didn't win Ryan. I know. <laughs> yes, I know Bob Dole was the president. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure former presidents show up all the time. But yeah, nominees. I think you're right. I think Bob Dole's the only nominee. McCain didn't show up. Bush didn't show up. Yeah. Romney didn't show up. Bob Dole is there, though. Yeah, he's a, he's a good party man. He is, yeah. Yeah. But, so anyway, but yeah, going that, back was to- a, that was a really fun uh, side note there. Uh, but yeah, what we're talking about when it comes to evangelicals and voting for Trump, what the divide I've seen and why it doesn't it I mean, it doesn't make sense. And with I think you're right on the abortion issue, I think is what it is. And I think the other thing is age. Specifically talking about the evangelical group. Yeah. Is it is the, I believe it's the tendency of the older ones if you're like I'd say if, if you're older than 40 closer to 50 in the evangelical group you're going to vote for Trump for the Supreme Court whereas if you're yeah. younger than that you're going you're insane how could you vote for this guy that's where, yeah. I, think that, that's where I think the divide breaks down and as we all know old people always vote that they do and young people um, don't always vote. They don't always. I, this kind of, I mean, the numbers were still lower than the other age groups, but younger people did vote a lot more this midterm, which I think is why you saw whatever you want to call it, a blue wave or whatever. <laughs> right. Is it a blue crush? Is it a red dawn? I don't know. Who knows? But I know Democrats control the House now, and considering the seats were up, they actually did pretty good in the Senate. Um so you're right. It's it's old people vote and old people are voting Republican more than they are voting Democrat. That's what it came down to. And even with all that, I mean, he lost the popular vote, which kind of gives me a little bit of semblance like there are still people in this country that care about the norms and what the country was founded on. Right. And uh, I was even reminded that he only got, what, 45 percent of the Republican vote. Yeah, not even fifty well, percent of his own party wanted him. Right, which if you look back in time, I think the only person who didn't get over fifty besides him was McCain, and he got like forty-eight or forty-nine or something like that, much closer. Yeah. So yeah, there's the very divided Republican primary electorate, but they, they, uh, they really coalesced around him when it when it counted. Yeah. At the end there, um, one thing I want to get back to. So you decided to go libertarian. Yeah. What made you, what, what holds you back from voting Democrat? Oh, good question. Um, I think, 
a, their whole package of anytime I hear the Democrats talk, they're a, they automatically assume they're correct to an annoying degree. They talk down to everybody they're trying to help. They and they they have a lot of great ideas and they have no way of funding them. Yeah. And they get mired up. The thing is, and they've become almost as bad as the Republicans in the culture war. The whole fight over the bathrooms thing. That was the Democrats. And it was like, we shouldn't have even been there. That was a campaign issue. It was, but was it the Democrats, you think? Yeah. But I, but the thing is... I mean, I, I feel like... I mean, they definitely took a stand on the issue, but I almost, I almost feel like it was Republicans bringing it up more. Well, well whatever the case may be, that's a silly argument because attacking people is already against the law. So you don't that's have true. to worry about who's in the bathroom or not. Yeah, that's true. Kidnapping is against the law. So do you need bathroom? So do you need bathroom rules already? But yeah, that goes. And because um but yeah, the yeah, the culture war, the ideas that they don't have the money for and they are doing a they they them in combination with the media uh, continues to demonize anything from the right as being completely dumb and hate-filled. You're either really stupid if you're a conservative or you're a monster if you're a conservative. You can't just be wrong. Yeah. So that that really bothers me. Um, and now... I think it's more their approach or the actual beliefs of the party? Um, I, a big part of it is the approach. Because um, some of the ideas sound good. I just like, I, I just think um, the big divide is how we go about to do it. I'm all in favor of helping people. I want to figure out the, the best way of going and doing it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, okay. well, I think we should help help the poor help the disabled and help everybody let's go about the best way of doing it and if i mean if we're going to do that we're going to spend money there let's cut somewhere else yeah i agree yeah, i think we're kind of in the same spot it's kind of interesting because i'm i'm more i'm i would consider myself more of a conservative democrat especially in terms of fiscal policy um and again, I'm the, I, I find abortion not a great, like people who cheer for abortion, like oh yeah, like uh, it, oh what's her name, uh, that actress Amy, I can't remember her last name, is holding a party um, to celebrate having an abortion for and anyone with her for who's had an abortion. Yeah, I mean that's not cool, right? No. no. Even if you if you even if you think it's a right for somebody, I mean, I I feel like it should be something that is celebrated. It's like doing it because it's a last resort kind of thing. Right. I mean, I've I've heard this phrase before. I think they should be rare, safe, and legal. Right. 
So, with I mean, it is a, cause, because it is a, then we're going to, you know, from what I've heard to what I know, what I heard was that this is an awful thing of babies being ripped out of their, of their mother's womb and having their heads cracked open. Um, I mean, that was something that was like ingrained into me when I was going, when I was a kid in school, right. which is kind of crazy. About. Like they like talked about in great, great detail about like using this to open the skull, using this to do this to the brain, like all this crazy stuff, like probably stuff that you should be saying to a, a kid. Right. But it was like, this is what they're doing and it's evil. And I mean, it's hard to argue against partial birth abortion being wrong, but I think how rare is that? I'm guessing very rare. I don't know the exact numbers. Right. And it's, it's probably being done in a very extreme situation. Right. So there's that, there's that end on the right. And then on the left, what I get is, Oh, you just want people having back alley abortions. That's what you want. Like, no, that's not what I want. Just because I'm a conservative, I would just prefer to, you know, can we have them rare, safe, and legal? But just because I'm a conservative, I'm automatically a monster. Um, Also, this is um, a story of when I was, oh, I was really young. I'd say maybe like five. And I don't know if I've told you the story or not. Um, Me and my family were holding these pro-life signs on the street, you know, some sort of thing. And and for whatever reason, I can't remember if there was some sort of proposition or something like that, or some pro-life thing. Me and my family, I'm like five, six years old. Um, And this guy walks up to me and he has a hanger in his hand. And he's saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're in favor of that. You know what's going to happen. And he's, and I, what he was saying didn't make sense. He was just waving a hanger in my face and making the point about uh, back alley abortions. But he's waving, wow. he's waving up a, a hanger into a, a in a six year old's face and calling me a monster. So that's my problem with the left. They don't sure. like six year olds. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the famous deplorable comment, right? <laughs> Yeah, they're they're irredeemable. They're deplorable. Yeah, and also uh, for the record, my dad had my back. So the well, guy, that's good. The guy was waving a thing, uh, hanger in my face for a little bit, but then my dad quickly jumped in. So shout out to my dad. That's good. Good job, Mister Logan. Way to step in. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I think there's demonization on both sides. And you probably experienced that more growing up in, in California, being a more left state, especially since 2016. I mean, all, all of Orange County is represented by Democrats now, which is mind-blowing, right? Yeah, I found it really humorous that uh, State Assemblyman Travis Allen is running for the Republican. He wants to be the, like the Republican chairman for the D- Republican Party of California. Yeah, that's like I want to be the captain of the Titanic now, <laughs> as it's at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, what? You, it's our, it's over, Travis. Yeah, that's why the Republican Party is dead in California. 
So yeah, pretty much. You go right ahead. You be the captain of that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Now, so now that we're facing, so we've already talked about how we got here. Yeah. So I guess should I should our next thing be? So where are we going? I don't know. I mean, we can talk we, about that. Yeah. Did our midterms yeah. show you anything? Are you hoping mid- for Are you hoping for uh, uh, Trump to get uh, primaried as I am? I mean, I I could definitely hope for that, but I, I think the chances are basically no. Yeah, I that he'll get primary. Yeah. Um. But he he's, he's he has just too much support. I mean, even in like a bad poll, he's got eighty percent support for the Republican Party. Yeah. It's just it's not possible. I mean, the the only candidate would be Kasich, right? Which I know you're a huge fan of, John Kasich. Oh, he's the he's the angry. He's the angry grandpa nobody wants to talk about. The, I have had this theory, and I believe I'm right. He has a temper problem, and he, yeah, he doesn't actually, he doesn't actually believe in anything but John Kasich. Yeah, probably. Oh, I voted for him in the Wisconsin primary. That was my vote, and that's fine. Yeah. Every every grandpa needs some support. Right. It was it was an anti-Trump vote, even though Cruz ended up winning Wisconsin. But yeah. our delegates are divided by districts, and that's the whole thing. We don't need to talk about that. Um, but going forward, I, I think what 2018 told me <clears throat> was that it's going to be another close election mm-hmm. because in 2020, because. Republicans, I mean, the Democrats did very well in all urban and suburban areas, right? I mean, they yeah. won a seat in Oklahoma. They won in Oklahoma City, which is nuts. Yeah. Like in uh, 2008, which was a complete landslide for Barack Obama, the every district in Oklahoma still voted Republican, and they were very proud of that. They were one of the few states to do that. So that's crazy. Um, with... Uh, Staten Island going Democrat in New York City. There's not a single district in this country that's majority urban, majority city that is represented by a Republican anymore. Yeah, which is, I think it's definitely is shows the clear divide that major cities have more and more become liberal. And yes the fact that Trump is losing the suburbs means he's running out of room. Absolutely. But on the other hand, we have the electoral college, right? Where did Republicans do well? They defeated incumbent senators in Indiana, North Dakota, Missouri, and Florida. Um, And then they lost in Nevada and Arizona. Um, so a, a swing of two seats. Um, what's interesting about that is there's a built-in advantage for rural states in the electoral college, right? Your vote in California, as far as for the president, is worth a lot less than a vote in Wyoming. Yes. Um, so that built-in advantage gives him a chance. I mean, I think it really it's going to come down to Wisconsin, Michigan, 
and Pennsylvania, mm. which based on midterm results, you think would be a good sign for, for uh, Democrats because right. Wisconsin, Scott Walker lost very narrowly, but he lost. Yep. And T- Tammy Baldwin won very big in her, her race for the Senate. Um, Michigan the, had the Senate and the governor up for election as well. And Democrats won pretty smoothly there. And the same thing in Pennsylvania. The uh, Senate candidate and the governor candidate, all of them won pretty handily. Um, and without you add those three states plus whatever Hillary Clinton won, you have a new Democratic president in 2020. Mm-hmm. So that would that would indicate to me that Democrats are in pretty good position, but also midterms really haven't done a good job of predicting the general election the following two years, right? I mean, yeah, that's true historically. Midterms are usually yeah. a disaster for for a sitting president, but then they can get themselves reelected. Majority of the time, right? Right. Uh, I mean, I think Barack Obama lost sixty seats in the House, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, twenty ten, and obviously he won pretty handily in twenty twelve. So, um, I'm hopeful. I, I think. One thing we haven't talked about is I think the economy has yeah. really propped up Donald Trump in a lot of ways. Big um, time. Yeah. It's a very strong economy um, in terms of the, the top line numbers, right? You're seeing very low unemployment um, and you're also seeing uh, GDP growth. That's pretty strong, especially compared to the last you know 10 years or so. Um, we're cracking over 3%, over 4% some of these quarters, even though it seems to be slowing. That seems to be the consensus that it's slowing faster than people thought it would. Um, right. Even the we, uh, even the arbitrary uh, stock market is, for the most part, been doing pretty well. Even though, yeah. Even though that really doesn't impact, like, everyday Joe's life. That's, right. like, the big thermometer that the news uses if they want to, if they want to say a president's doing a bad job. It's like, Oh, that Dow Jones is down again. That president better get on it. Right. Um, and that's kind of interesting because actually this year, I mean, we've gone through kind of a downturn in recent months, but this year, like the S&P is up less than 2%. And which usually the stock market's pretty forward looking, which means they're anticipating results rather than what the current climate is. So I'm. it seems like a slowdown is coming. Mm-hmm. If that, if that happens, I think, I mean, just historically too, once unemployment is under 3%, under 4%, I should say, um, once you reach that full employment, things start to kind of reverse because you have inflationary pressures and stuff like that. Um, so I think odds are somewhat high that there, I mean, there'll definitely be a slowdown by 2020, but I mean, there could be a recession by 2022. Right. And that, I mean, I hate counting him out. It would be kind of the dumbest thing ever considering what happened in 2016. But um, I think that lines up pretty well for Democrats. But where does that leave the country, like the mood of the country? Are we just going to have like, you know, Tea Party Part 2, the electric bug flu, or what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. Where, I mean, yeah, where would that leave the Republican Party? Um from at least from my my observation, my gut feeling of what I've observed of with the type of candidates that ran this past midterm, 
my observation of both the I think the politicians and um, a lot of your voters is it's become I think more polarized than I've ever seen as in Republicans farther to the right than I've ever seen and really Democrats farther to the left than I've ever seen yeah and both sides getting a ton of votes Florida being a great picture of that and really, Florida is very interesting and really Texas too I mean a few years ago the way uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke ran his campaign Beto yeah yeah he wouldn't have had a chance four years ago or eight years ago he would have been a socialist and he wouldn't have had a chance in Texas right but now but he lost by less than three percent right right yeah and another squeaker in Florida of two guys who couldn't be more opposite yeah Florida is interesting to me because in the current in the climate of this election you would think Florida being one of the more famously swingy states this would be the year where where Democrats kind of rolled right Right, that's what I anticipated. That's what I did too. I, I and if you, I don't know how much of the election coverage you watched, but people were questioning whether this was really a blue wave. Again, who cares what you call it? But right. Um, and one of the main reasons people early on were questioning that was because the results of Florida were so underwhelming for Democrats. Mm-hmm. And that that's a very interesting state to me because, and I think there's a there's always been an attitude that demographics are destiny, right? They're, as the country gets browner in terms of race and that Democrats are going to have an easier time in states like um, Texas is going to become a purple state eventually and Florida too. But it, it seems like there's some kind of backstop. Maybe Florida is just weird, but well, that there's no maybe about that. Have you seen the news ever? Florida. Sure. Florida is very weird, but, um, and that's kind of what gives me pause about 2020 as well, because, you know, maybe the Midwest just swings. I mean, the Midwest newsflash, a lot of white people live in the Midwest, right? Yeah. A lot of old white, a lot of old white people here. Yeah. Um, so maybe it just swings back. Like when, when Trump gets on that ballot and he's running against somebody instead of his own record, you know what I mean? Right. He just has somebody they can demonize and say, you want to vote for that person? And then we're just in the same situation we were in 2016. I don't know. Right. But it's hard to find someone as as ripe for just demonization than Hillary Clinton, right? There's just so much there that just decades of material to use. Oh, yeah. There's just, there's at this point a Pavlovian response to Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, 2016, both parties picked probably their worst candidate, which was maybe an argument for letting this being sorted out in back rooms like they did back in the old days. Don't you miss the good old days of the, uh, you know, the smoky back, smoke-filled back rooms where the party bosses decided who was the nominees? Yeah, that's how we got, like, Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's how it, no, I think that was a little different, but like, yeah, like, uh, 
Calvin Coolidge. And- yeah, I, like, I think the country was a little was a little divided too when Lincoln got elected. Yeah, so, for a good point. Good. Point. I think that was like a four way race, if I remember correctly. But uh, I think you're right. Yeah. So yeah, all oh, the good old days. Yeah, we just I, we just need a little bit more, you know, party corruption. The Democrats did their part. If you believe some of those emails in shutting Bernie down, I don't know. Yeah, oh, we didn't talk about Russia at all, which I think is probably for the best. That but, that might uh, be a whole that's that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but and, and, and I think that's uh, probably gives me the most anxiety right now is like the uh, the Mueller investigation and uh, with Whitaker taking over the Justice Department. Um, why it makes perfect sense that you know some dudes some guy's uh, assistant would magically become the uh jump in and take that spot it's not like uh the attorney general had an assistant attorney general right (laughs) and we are kind of talking about 2020 like it's normal but we still don't know how that's going to shake out and uh that could have a pretty dramatic effect in terms of where we are as a country after that's all sorted out. But yeah. if it's ever sorted out at all, who knows? It's very, it gives me a lot of anxiety because I think it's extremely important that the president doesn't get to dictate, dictate his own investigation of himself. So, right. I, I, yeah. I thought we'd nailed that down with the, with Nixon years ago, but yeah, I guess not. I guess not is right. And, and it's another evidence of like how divided we are it's like it's either you think the Mueller investigation for most people you either think it's gonna show that there was a that uh donald trump had a burner phone that only vladimir putin called or you think that this is a complete hoax and conspiracy by by uh democrats to take down the so right which which again just shows how polarized we polarized we are I take it yeah. as it's actually an investigation, and what Mueller finds is what Mueller finds. With right. an investigation, he's not necessarily targeting the president. He's saying, okay, based on what I find, this is what I've got. So, so yeah, we'll see what happens with that. So, yeah. It's a very, very uncertain time. Um, and I wonder when we look back at this, how close we'll look to saying, like, we kind of really stress tested the republic in this moment to see if we could get past it or not. I don't I don't know how serious that is. I I have that feeling sometimes that like the literal republic is in peril in terms of like our just how this how the system works. Yeah. Because we've we've never, we've never had a congress that just pass blocks for a president like we have this one, right? Yeah. Just shuts down. I mean, Devin Nunez who's who's your congressman, by the way? It doesn't matter. Since I'm a conservative, I don't pay attention. He's not my guy. Devin isn't yours. He's like Central Valley or something. I don't know. But uh, like literally he was taking marching orders from the White House on how to run the Intelligence Committee in the House. We've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. Though We're- for the record, though, I, I, we, my, my senator is uh, good old Diane Feinstein. Yes. She manages to hang on. That must be nice for being conservative and your choices for uh, Senate are 
are liberal or very liberal. <laughs> yeah, and we voted for that. We voted for that system, hoping to maybe vote in less liberal Democrats. <laughs> yeah, the old top two primary, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, Never mind. But I, I, Einstein's going to live to the end of her term. She's not looking that great. Isn't it but, six um, years? Am I wrong on that? It's, it's, to, it's six. <laughs> I mean, hmm. 2024. Yeah. It's a long time. But I, I, I don't think the framers of the Constitution, the guys who wrote this thing, could ever have anticipated a immunity by congressional majority, basically. I don't think they ever envisioned a Congress just willing to give up its power for the executive like they have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That gets me to that they never envisioned uh, going to D.C. and becoming millionaires. Oh, yeah. I mean, that too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of things they didn't envision. But um, I think this one, I mean, I it just didn't make any sense to think that Congress would voluntarily give up power to the executive like they have um, during this administration. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we have, we have divided government now, so we'll see what happens, but I think we'll look back at this time and wonder how close we got to things getting really out of control. Yeah. Um, I, and, and as always, this is an experiment. This is the craziness of democracy. Nobody's, really try to do the type of government that we're trying to do and lasted. So, yeah, it's true. You can see to read about the Romans, figure that part out. Mm. So uh, watch out for those uh, barbarian hordes at the gates. Yeah, it's the caravan. It's coming. Right. Yes. They'll be here any day. Watch out for the barbarians. Okay, well, I think I think that reaches about the end of uh, of this story. So, yeah, if you end, if you get to the end of this podcast, which I think we're like an hour and a half now, just about. If you get to the end of this podcast, you know, text me the word mayonnaise, and I'll Venmo you a dollar because I don't know how many people are going to listen to all this. But... Yeah, at at Ryan Francis, is that, is that right? At Ryan Francis. Send me, send me, just send me mayonnaise. I'll Venmo, I'll Venmo you a dollar for listening to this whole podcast. Yeah, I mean, if we've gone this long, should I just? Um, uh, okay, this is not politics at all. Just me knowing you. Okay, you have one football game to win. Your quarterback is either Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre. Who do you pick? I pick Aaron Rodgers, but. I, I think it really depends on the coach because Mike McCarthy is. It's like I, I sold my soul for one Super Bowl, and now I just have to watch stupidity for season after season. It's really tough. Oh. Um, I guess I should complain. Like, I've been pretty lucky as a Packer fan during my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to witness a lot of cool moments and a couple championships, but. Mike McCarthy killing me. It's like we're just giving away Aaron Rodgers' prime years. But yeah, I'd probably take Aaron Rodgers. Because Farm has scored a lot of backbreaking interceptions late in games that crushed my soul. It brought me happiness when he was a Viking, but um, (laughs) there there were some rough playoff losses that ended in an interception. And his last pass is a Packer. 
was an interception in overtime in the NFC Championship game. So that's right. I remember watching that one, man. I would take Aaron Rodgers. Good Californian, Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Good call. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for uh, for joining me on this podcast, Ryan. Uh, Yeah. It's good talking to you. Yeah. I think this was a lot of fun, and I think uh, we should definitely do this again sometime. All right. Cool. Take it easy. Thanks, Ryan. Yep. And that'll do it for this episode. Thank you for listening.